This is Jacobin Radio. I'm Susie Wiseman. On today's program, we spend the hour with Haitian author, historian, filmmaker, and publisher Franz Voltaire, who helps us untangle the chaotic situation in Haiti, where the president was assassinated, two men are claiming interim authority, and the parliament and judiciary are non-functioning. We're going to go beneath the surface with Franz Voltaire to understand what happened, what's next, and what could be. All this when our program returns in just a moment. This is Jacobin Radio. I'm Susie Wiseman, and I'm very pleased to have Franz Voltaire back with us. We're going to try to untangle what is going on, literally changing by the moment in Haiti, and that is the country of Franz' origin. Haitian President Jovenel Moise was assassinated earlier this week at his home in the middle of the night by men wearing DEA uniforms, some speaking Spanish and English. A band of Colombians have been arrested, as well as two Haitian Americans. The government was already in crisis with the dysfunctional parliament and judiciary, and that crisis has now greatly increased with two different men claiming to be interim president. Some Haitian officials have called for U.S military assistance, while others are adamantly opposed to more outside intervention, whether by the United States, the UN, or by NGOs and aid groups. We are fortunate to have Franz Voltaire with us to help understand the current situation, how and why the assassination took place, the context from which it arose, and what we can expect now. Let me just introduce Franz first. He is an award-winning filmmaker, an historian, an author, a publisher, founder-director of the Montreal-based SIDICA, which stands for the International Center for Haitian, Canadian, and Afro-Caribbean culture. He has many books, including Black Power in Haiti and A Brief History of Blacks in Canada, and he has served as consultant to the UN, was appointed by President René Preval to coordinate international cooperation between Canadian and Haitian organizations, and he served as a consultant to the UN and a cabinet chief for Prime Minister uh, Robert Malval in Haiti in 93 and 94. I should also say Francis spent time in a Haitian prison and in the notorious National Stadium after the 1973 coup in Chile. And he's joining us to talk about the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moïse earlier this week and what it portends for Haiti. So with all of that, welcome back. Franz, it's really a pleasure to have you with us. It's a pleasure, Sazi, to after so many years. Yeah, we had you after the earthquake and then a year after the earthquake. And I remember at the time you had just left Haiti, literally an hour before that earthquake of 2010. Correct. And the first thing you said to me, it was more like the destruction of Pompeii, which really did sort of put into context. And I think this is the backdrop that we want to begin with. But maybe if if you just could start, uh, Franz, with what happened? How did it happen? And what can we expect as this story is unfolding? Okay. At first, I think the assassination of Chauvenel Moïse, everybody condemned this kind of solution. to kill a president, it's a very complicated situation because Jovenel Moïse uh, has concentrated in his hands all the power. He dissolved the parliament, he dissolved 
he named his own cronies at the uh, Supreme Court and uh, at all the institutions. What the people in Haiti didn't understand is why when you have a rhetoric of democracy in the United States, in Canada, in France, and you accept this kind of decision for the last three years, uh, Jovenel Moïse was implicated in embezzlement of state fundings. And so it was an interest to kill Jovenel Moïse. I think you, certainly when you concentrate all the power in your own hands, there is the possibility that there is a conflict inside the National Palace, uh, inside uh, the inner circle, because we are in a year of election. Uh, for the public, Jovenel Moïse, his mandate at an end, February 7, and he decide by himself to prolong his mandate until next year. That means that he was in the process of selecting uh, himself a candidate because he want to change the constitution, he want a referendum, and I think at one moment, uh, it was a problem because you, 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 European Union and United States decide, yes, we need an election, but they don't want a new constitution or a referendum. Now, let's see the, the events. One month ago, uh, there is an agreement with the National Police Force with a private institution that they can have 30 Colombians who are ex-soldiers, ex-special forces in Colombia. They can arrive in Haiti and work with the Haitian police to fight uh, gang streets because for the last three years, there was a very important problem of kidnapping, of rape, of violence in the city by gang streets. And so that this was disagreement. 15 days ago, there was a police operation with the Colombians mm. to fight one of the gang. And so oh, these people were very professional. It looks like they, all of them are professional soldiers. They can arrive, kill the president. There was, nobody was shot in the residency mm. except the president. And his wife. And if I could just... It looks, like, it looks like they pick the wife and they bring her to an hospital. It's very strange, all this situation. Let me ask you just on that, just to go back, Franz, that because you gave the immediate backdrop of what happened in the last month or so, which we didn't know about. And I think there was a surprise that of the 20 that have been detained so far, that 18 are Colombians and two are Haitian-Americans. And that you said, as they were able to invade the private residence, uh, the villa of the president, there was no pushback from his armed guard. Presumably, they gained entrance into the house. And then the perpetrators were able to get away. So there doesn't look like there was any fight back by those in the guard either. So can you take it from there as to, you know, it's the kind of mystery of this evening that, you know, they were able to get away with it. 
Okay, some of them say that when they arrived, they, they called them because they, tell them, they told them that there were a fight in the residency. They arrived at the residency and there they said that the president was dead. What happens? A police who can't fight even small gangs in the city, for the first time, these police were able in three, less than three or four hours to arrest this professional. And they didn't fight because uh, those who died were by snipers. And it looks like these people think because they work for the police, they won't, it's a problem, but it's a small problem. They can arrange it, they fix it. And so it's very, it's, it's a very, very strange situation. Nobody understand. Now the problem is who organized these because who perpetrated that? My understanding, it, you can organize that without participation of the inner circle of the president. Maybe the, someone said that the hypothesis is that some two of the businessmen who have problem with the president, Mr. Reginald Boulos and Mr. Ford, but they are, they are in the States. And I don't think they are crazy to get involved in this kind of situation because they can get, they can get arrested in the state. And so, and they were not in Haiti. And to organize this kind of operation, you need a logistic, a very important logistic. If there were people who came to Haiti to commit this crime, uh, I suppose they would have arranged their own escape because they couldn't have arranged that to go to the Dominican Republic. Uh, now nobody understand completely this. And are kind you of saying? Situation. Can I just? Add, it looks like they did not arrange their escape, and nobody arranged yeah. a getaway for them. How is that explained, or what do people think? It's a very strange. You go to the residence of a president, you kill him, and after that, you went to an house. This house was rented for by a lady, Magali Habitant, who was part of the circle of the president. And so it's, it's, it's a bad scenario. So let's go from there to, you, you, you hinted that Moise is, um, well, you started to talk about who he was and how to characterize his rule. And it looks like he's been very unpopular and that he's ruled as a tyrant and that he's slowly allowed other governmental institutions to, let's say, decay. And I want to talk about that afterwards, that how is it that the parliament, you know, is dysfunctional and the Supreme Court as well, even though I guess the head of the Supreme Court died of COVID last month. But even so, it looks like there's there's really not much of a functioning government. And that's before. I want you first to talk about actually about Moise, and then we'll get into the people who are trying to claim, you know, authority now. Because the uh, Moise since February 7 was what you can call a de facto government because he has to retire February 7. And he didn't organize any kind of election for the last four years, even at the level, at the small level of community election uh, for the mayor or for the, the Senate and the Chamber of Representatives. 
the 10 senators, there were 30 senators in Haiti. There were 10 who were in function, but they don't have what they said quorum. They can't, because you need 15. And so Moïse concentrated all the power in his own hands. And for the last year, we have mobilization of the people uh, who want to put an end to his rule because he became more and more a dictatorial rule. There was problem with the alliance he made with some gangs. The very strange thing that the representative of the United Nations in Haiti, Hélène Lalim, when they organized it, just nine, the alliance of nine gangs, she said it's a good thing for Haiti because uh, we will have less violence. What we see, we have more violence and more popular violence. People were killing, people were killed in the streets, people were kidnapped, women were raped, were tortured. And so there was a global mobilization against the rule of Jovenel Moïse. Now, uh, we didn't expect this kind of solution because the only support Jovenel Moïse has, that was the gangs, part of the police forces, because there was no real army in Haiti right now, and the support of the core group. That means the United States, Canada, France, and Brazil. And what about the, you know, internal oligarchy, or you mentioned businessmen in America, or perhaps in Canada as well. Is there any evidence that he had their support? Or well, he support of part of the oligarchy, of the traditional oligarchy, but he has also a problem with two of them. Uh, Mr. Boulos was a political party, the third way, and Mr. Vaub, but who was in Sojourner and electricity company. But I don't think they have this capability or this capacity to organize something like that. Because, you know, even if you have the money, that means that you have some international cooperation, that you, you need uh, alliance inside the inner circle of the president. As I said, the very strange thing, okay, you can't enter in the president a residency. You kill the president, you went out, no, nothing happens. Uh, there was not one guard was a problem. And so, uh, and immediately, the prime minister who was, in fact, uh, not a prime minister because on Monday, they have named another prime minister. And so this guy said, I am in charge. But just one day after, Madame Mrs. Hélène Lalim said, okay, he is the prime minister. It looks like she is the, the authority who <laughs> named her. But yesterday, <laughs> yeah. the prime minister who Jovenel named on Monday, he said with the president of the Senate, Senate who said, I am the only one elected. And eight senators said, okay, he, the president of the Senate is the new president. You know, that's that's a Kafkaesque situation. <laughs> 
Well, it sounds really bizarre because when you started to speak, Franz Volterra, about the 10 remaining uh, senators out of an original 30 who cannot, you know, constitute a quorum, one would imagine that there could be some sort of emergency provision in this context where they could do something, but instead we're seeing a lot of dysfunction and a situation where we have two different interim presidents, one, as you described, the prime minister who was recently appointed and the other one who uh, should have, I guess, rightfully taken that position or somehow. And I'd like you to explain it to our listeners because this is very, very confusing. And some would say two interim presidents. Is this some form of weird dual power? I mean, how do you explain this? Well, in fact, we have a constitutional uh, crisis. Because the mandate of Jovenel Moïse supposedly finished on February 7 of this year. He made his own interpretation against all the legal interpretation, against all, everybody, even scholars, uh, constitutional scholars who said, no, it's over. It's four years, you are, it's over. But he said, okay, I am in charge until next year, and I will organize the election. But he said, I will organize also a change of the constitution. I will organize also a referendum. And I think there was this, the base of the disagreement. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants this kind of constitution. Nobody wants this, uh, the referendum. And even the U.S. have to accept, okay, no referendum, but you have to organize the election. But he organized himself, his own electoral council. He named his own people. And so there was a disagreement with the opposition. There was a disagreement. And for that reason, on Monday, he named a new prime minister. His, the mandate of the new prime minister was to organize the election, to make a reform of the electoral council, and make an agreement with some parties of the opposition to have a unity government. That's very strange that two days after this agreement, before he can swear as a prime minister, uh, the president was killed and all the political situation changed completely because the ex-prime minister, in fact, he was teaching in the U.S. before coming to Haiti. The Mr. Claude Joseph was living in the U.S. Mr. Claude Joseph uh, was on Wednesday acting as a prime minister in charge of the government. And on the day after, uh, Mrs. Lalim under the Security Council said, okay, Mr. Joseph is the guy who is in charge. On Friday, Dr. Ariel Henry said, no. I am the prime minister and the president of the Senate said, and so we are a very confused situation. I don't know what will happen on the, on the weekend or next week, but I think you will have mobilization of the people and some political party said they don't accept this kind of diktat by Madame Lalim or by the United States who want election on if September 15, in this kind of confusion, put it also with the pandemic. 
And so you said, okay, it's a very crazy. I think Peter Mulwen, who was U.S. ambassador from 2015 to 2017, he said it will be a catastrophe if you make that. You need some reform. You can't organize election. You can't think that election will solve the problem because it was the situation since the last 10 years. After the earthquake, United States decide and with Mr. Almagro of the OAS, they decide who will be in charge of the country. I, I remember that, and we published uh, the book by Ricardo Seitenfus, who was at the time, he was a Brazilian scholar, but it was at the time uh, working as a, at the OAS, and he said it's impossible to, to have this kind of situation. And he was, uh, he has to, to, to left the OAS to return to his university. But the real fact is that uh, it will be a catastrophe uh, to have, I don't know if you can have election. I don't think so. You can have election in one month and a half. You don't have any candidate, official candidate. You don't have an electoral council. You don't have the logistic and the infrastructure. And in fact, Dermalog was a German company who organized this kind of uh, electoral card. Dermalog said there was one third of the electorate were not registered yet because they can't deliver card no. for them. And so what kind of election they will have, I really don't know. Uh, they can have, because it, like, it looks like the election of Jovenel. He was elected supposedly with 5,000 uh, vote. Uh, it's more less than one-tenth of the electorate. Oh, my goodness. So it's a really sad situation that you're describing, Franz Voltaire, one that, you know, every time you think there can't be more chaos and more shock and more disaster for Haiti, then there's yet another level. And we've barely discussed the pandemic, which clearly is also at play and will be in the middle of all of the machinations in the next several months to try to constitute a new government and then to see where we go from there. But you did mention the G9 gangs, and I've heard various accounts of this guy who's called uh, Jimmy Barbecue. Barbecue. Yes. And then, you know, some are saying, oh, he's a revolutionary, another a gangster. And I would maybe just for the listeners, I know it's a bit of a segue before we go back to the bigger issue, but maybe you could just describe some of the social forces on the ground and who's supporting whom, if that is at all, at all clear. I think you, you have a global division between the political forces, uh, with more than what? 100 political groups because what the, the power organized it was to register more than a lot of different groups that they can organize an election. But in fact, maybe you will have four or five real opponents in if you have a real election. But to have this real election, you need an electoral council. Now, in the middle of the chaos, in the middle of, because of the gangster presence in Haiti, what we have to understand that for the last 30 years, you have a process of migration inside the, the city, the main cities, Port-au-Prince, Gonaïve, and Cape Haitian. 
where the people from the countryside, they occupy all the non-edificandi uh, place. And so they organize by themselves. And so in these places, now they are more than in the capital city, more than 70% of the population. Mm. And so they began with small gang groups. They began to, to have armament, part of the oligarchy, part of the inner circle of the president, and part of the police force. They give modern armament to this group. Today, they act with AK-47. They intervene with uh, M-16. They intervene with Galil. And so these groups work for different groups, but they begin to intervene in the drug trafficking, mm. in kidnapping. And the kidnapping means that a uh, lot of money in terms of new economy, a lot of money passed in their hands. And so this group began to intervene, controlling, because of the topography of the city, they control the southern part of the city because the southern part is, uh, it's look like, it's an, it's a presqu'ile, it's a, mm -hmm. it's an island. If you close it, you, you can't go to the southern part. They control the, the road to the Santo Domingo, the road to Port-au-Prince, but they act with the, with the, with some impunity. Mm. Even they act in the center of the city. And so it's a very complex uh, situation. And so uh, people are talking about Somalization, Lebanization, uh, it, because this group today have armament, but the armament at, are essentially American. And they know that this, they came from Miami port, uh, Or they can, because Haiti, it's not like Iraq, Syria, or Libya, where you have huge um, uh, concentration of armament by the old regimes. Now, this armament comes essentially from Miami. Mm. So, Franz Voltaire, you've, you've really started to go into, like, I think, what are the more salient aspects of the chaos that we're seeing right now. But maybe you could tell a little bit more about, you know, not just the struggle for power from these competing and dispersed groups or gangs or, you know, forces. But what can you explain something of the economy and social structure in the post earthquake Haiti that would relate or bear on this current political, economic crisis and constitutional crisis? Could you describe within that perhaps the distribution of wealth, whatever provisions there are for the population, uh, what kind of employment, that sort of thing? I think what you have, you have the, if you take a Gini index, you have, it is the more unequal country in all the other in all the Americas. What you have is that power is concentrated, uh, economic power. It's maybe three, two percent of the population. Uh, but you have this kind of economy. There is a small industrial base on maquilladoras, on uh, Renewary Industries, on industries who produce for the U.S. market, essentially, or Canadian market. This is a very small, uh, maybe it means 40,000 people living on this enterprise. But 
most of the money came from international assistance, but more than international assistance from the remittances from the diaspora, from people working in the States, from people working in Canada, in Brazil, in uh, Chile. Because what we have to understand that Haiti export since 1915, since the American occupation, one of the basis of it was exporting poor people to work first at the plantation on the tourism industry in the Caribbean. And today, Haiti in the last year export people to Brazil or to Chile. When I was living in Chile, there was maybe 25 or more than 30 Haitians studying there or working there. Today, we have more than 100,000 people in less than 10 years. You have uh, more than 50,000 people living in Sao Paulo. You have more than 1 million people maybe living in Dominican Republic, 2 million in the States. And so you have uh, Haiti export is manpower. And so the integration of Haiti in the world market is not through investment in Haiti, either in tourism industry, either in other kind of industries, except what I said that was this kind of uh, maquilladoras, this kind of industries producing for the United States market. What you have, it's export, Haiti is exporting manpower. And so all the political and the economic problem is how to deal with this maybe $3 billion coming from as remittances. And so all the banks are not interested in uh, loans except for a few groups. You know, a country like Haiti with 11 million people, you have maybe 20,000 loans globally in the banks. And so the banks are there to recycle this money sent by the people and they play in the in the case of interest rate they played with the the change money change and so even the government from Martelly to Jovenel has put a tax on the on the remittances of the people and so supposedly these tax were for the school system Nobody has seen anything. There is no transparency. And so you have uh, Haiti became dependent also from the commerce and uh, coming from Dominican Republic, sometimes in the same family, because they are uh, Lebanese, Liban- Syrio-Lebanese, Palestinian. And so these people, they, they have the same families in, in the Dominican part. And... Uh, that's the, the consumer, Haiti is a consumer market for the Dominican Republic. Wow. But also the Dominican Republic uh, absorb a part of the Haitian manpower. You know, that's, uh, if you go to the construction, if you go to the agricultural part, if you go to the tourism industry, that's the cheap labor for Dominican Republic. Mm. So given all of that, and I'm really glad that you laid that out for us. Um, so it sounds like Haiti has exported its population 
and has left very little inside Haiti, including avenues of revenue, if you're taxing remittances. But um, you also mentioned earlier that of these various gangs and forces left on the ground, that there's no you know, kind of structure and people sort of make do and organize for themselves. There's no transparency. There's been aid coming in. There's uh, you said it was for public education. Is there public education? And I guess this also then begs the larger question about the role of both foreign intervention and aid. There was an article earlier this week in The New York Times saying that that all of the international aid is part of the big problem in Haiti. That absolutely, it, yeah. absolutely, Susie. And I want ago, you to talk about that. Yes. Years ago. We published a book by an American economist, George DeWin, mm -hmm. from Colombia, and it's the book was aiding as migration. You know, the book is the this kind of aid was linked to migration. In fact, if I think some program by the USAID, the USAID implement some kind of program, but what this program was in the agricultural land, but Who was the director of this program? Jean-Robert Estimé, a, a minister of Jean-Claude Duvalier. You know, that's... But in fact, uh, what we have, that's uh, the aid problem go through NGOs, essentially. Not Haitian NGOs. They go through NGOs or the religious NGOs. And they said, all this... Uh, kind of Protestants, NGOs. Uh, Evangelical, so, yeah. Voila, evangelical NGOs. Yeah. That means that the state is not uh, present. The state is not present. For example, the, in public schools, the public school represent less than 20% of the school system. Most of the school system are for the religious college and schools and private schools, but not private in the sense private for the elite. It's someone who arrives in Haiti or some Haitian, he organizes his own school. And so people call them, a, it's a, like a, a boleto that that's, looks like a lottery. When you enter the school, you you don't know what will happen to you. If you have talent, maybe you go through the system, but most of the people won't go through the system. And you have this kind of urbanization. Port-au-Prince was a small city of 300,000 people until 1971. In 1986, when Duvalier left, it was a city of 1 million inhabitants. Today, it's more than 4 million. Oof. The great port of prince but with services for 300,000 people mm. with private and so it's a it's a huge problem and it's linked with the delinquency it's linked with criminality because people on the popular neighborhood there was no presence of the state and so people have to auto organize their auto organization and so the gang in the last three years with this kind of government They take control of this neighborhood. They organize the neighborhood. It's a complex situation. Eh? It's not so simple. When they kidnap someone, they ask, for example, $1 million or $200,000. This money was redistributed in the neighborhood also. 
but they also tax the small merchant. They also tax the women sometimes. And people used to say there is three kinds of kidnapping. There is people who they kidnap to have the money, but also they oblige people for sex services, for uh, domestic services. And so it's, it's, it's a very complex pocket. This, this gangster were born in this neighborhood. They grew up there. And so it's, and so they, they have to make some social activities also, even to legitimate, to legitimate their own, to say you don't have any present. And at one moment, someone like barbecue, It mm -hmm. can present itself as a revenge, as because barbecue was an ex-policeman. He was not a, a small guy from the city. He was also a, a policeman. He went to, I suppose, to a college. And mm -hmm. uh, barbecue, he said, there is an opportunity. But he used to work for the government. And when, when the government can pay them, Because there was, with the pandemic, since last year, uh, with the people, you have a problem that they don't have money to pay everybody. The government doesn't have the resources because there was a cut in the, during the Trump time, there was a cut in the American aid to Haiti. And so the government can pay all these people. They, and so they kidnap people to pay. To, to have their own resources or their own revenue. But this kind of situation could lead to some, you know, in Martissan, one of the neighborhood, the last week, there were 10,000 people who had to flee the neighborhood. And that, with the pandemic, it's a big and a huge problem. There's also, um, as we've seen this week, there's been calls for U.S. intervention, putting troops on the ground, or as we know, and maybe you'll explain to our listeners, Franz Voltaire, about previous, you know, interventions from the U.S. or from the U.N. peacekeepers to bring order and stability, and we know that that isn't what's happened. And then we've also seen that the population is clearly opposed to any kind of intervention like that, or at least it seems that's the case. So what do you think of that part? Well, let's face it. There was a inter military intervention in 1915. It lasted 19 years. It did change structurally the country. You know, uh, as I said before, It was at the time of the U.S. expansion in the Caribbean, 1898, Cuba and Puerto Rico, 1915, Haiti, 1916, Dominican Republic, 1917, Virgin Island. Okay. This was as geopolitical, uh, there was a control of the Caribbean to control the Panama Canal and to expel the, the oldest Imperialists in the in the Caribbean, Spain. Also, it happens in Philippines. But there was another extension in the in Haiti, in the in Dominican Republic. That was 1965. But in Haiti, it was 1994 with Clinton administration to establish Aristide. Mm -hmm. After that, there was the other one is 2004 to expel Aristide. In uh, and After the earthquake, another one. The United States, when they intervened in Haiti, 
they intervene as usual by the Marines. They intervene, and after that, they were replaced and by the globally Latino American Latino Americanos army by the Brazilian army. Mm-hmm. Subcontract that. Don't say Chile, Argentina, uh, Brazil, uh, Peru. Well, name them. Uh, they was there, but for the time. They spent $10 billion, but nobody has seen that this money has no impact on Haiti. Certainly, it has an impact for these different army corps because uh, a Brazilian soldier received maybe $1,000 more. And as they live in the camp, in their camp, they don't have to spend the money. Uh, it happens. But this kind of intervention has help result in Haiti, a real catastrophe, was the cholera by the Nepalese uh, corps. And they never paid anything. You have maybe the 90,000 people who are affected, 9,000 dead, but they don't pay anything to the families, to, to the people. Well, and so people are looking at the United Nations intervention as non-efficient. As someone said to me, he said, you know, after 10 years, they were not able to to build a, what you call it, a fire a firefighter corps. They were not to they were not able to build uh, some corps of civilian corps to deal with situation like hurricanes, like climate change, you know. And Haiti it will be heavily affected by this kind of climate change. They don't provoke the climate change, but they will have to deal with that. And so, and they didn't arrange any security problem. Maybe with their presence, you have more armament in the country when they left. And so, uh, you have more problems after the intervention than you have before. For that reason, I said, you know, it was a situation where uh, after spending billion of dollars, you don't have any result. It happens the same thing with the Clinton administration, not the Clinton administration, the Clinton Foundation, who have to deal with the, after the earthquake, I think one of my friends published a book about that was very interesting because he analyzed how this money was spent or wasn't spent. And I think sometimes they have uh, I think it's a Red Cross, United States Red Cross, who had maybe six hundred million dollars and to build maybe sixty houses. You know, you know that it was uh, mismanagement, uh, embellishment, and f- maybe for that reason they have to choose this kind of people to be in power. But these people also uh, were involved in a big scandal like Martelli and. Jovenel Moïse, in the kind of what they call the Petro-Caribe, because the Venezuela lent them uh, $4 billion. They have to buy, to receive uh, the Venezuelan oil, and selling the oil and using the benefits of the money to uh, invest in economic or in social programs. Indeed happened. They mismanage completely or they, they steal the money. 
because for that reason, you have a huge movement in the country, young, managed by young people, what they call the Petro, the Petro challengers, who want a process to see what happened to this money, because its money is not an aid, it's not a, it's not a donation. You have to repeat that. So, you know, it's, it's difficult to listen to all of these descending levels of hell that you're describing, Franz Voltaire. And we've been talking about this, you know, for as long as I've known you. And, and of course, you've, you've gone all the way back to 1915 now in your description. And I just wondered if you could perhaps finish by describing what you think might happen next and whether or not you have any hopes. I think you can have an hope if you have what they call a, transi- a rupture, transition. If you have some kind of government for the uh, government by people who can manage for the next three years at least to organize a judicial system, a functioning judicial system, to organize a par- rules for a new parliament, who organize a new electoral council, who can act with transparency. And if you make some fiscal reform that people have to pay for the services, I'm saying about the people, people from the oligarchs or from the high middle class, they don't pay taxes. And so if you make this transformation, there will be a hope. Because if not, uh, you you know, we have this kind of pandemic but you can have a variant. And so as all the countries today are connected, you will pay more than to try to solve this kind of problem. I suppose that the ambassador, American ambassador, uh, is when he said we have to act differently, he has also that in mind. He's not, uh, he didn't want a global transformation, but he said, if you continue with this kind of policy, you will pay the price. You know what happened in Iraq, what happened in Libya, uh, European countries are paying the price. If if you transform the country, but you don't build a sustainable con- country. Haiti is a very small country. You know, you, know you, you are talking about a country of uh, less than Connecticut. And so it's not a huge country that you have to invest a lot of money. And it's a peaceful country in one sense by the population. And so you can control easily this kind of delinquency because they don't produce armament. Well, finally, let me ask you just because you've really given something very intriguing, uh, Franz Voltaire, how would you see that, say, governing council being organized? You know, you've said that perhaps a three-year transition to then reorganize parliament, judiciary, and then to come up with, I guess, a structure that would be a functioning government. So would you see this with the involvement of the diaspora or from only within? How do you see that? No, absolutely. You know, there is a lot of, you know, years ago when we have the earthquake, we organized in Montreal, uh, someone like Samuel Pierre, it's a scholar from the Polytechnic Institute, uh, a Haitian scholar. He organized 700 Haitians, but also friends of Haiti. Not all of them were not Haitian. They produce, and we produce because I was part of the process. We produce uh, 700 documents 
what we have to do. Not that document is a definitive, but it's a some kind of a, a white book that people can inspire what we have to do in all topics, in energy, in infrastructure. And we people were voluntary. The people were not paid to, to produce that. There were very high scholars in France, in the United States, in Canada, that people think we can contribute with that. They accept, they accept that at the beginning. But immediately after, Clinton Foundation changed all the rules and they decide that they have their own way to deal with the Asian problem. That the problem that you can't, uh, if the population didn't participate, if you can't rule over the population, it won't be a failure. But I think there is an opportunity uh, that Asian can deal with this kind of situation. We have all the resources are not in Haiti necessarily, but you have a lot of resources. You have more doctors in Montreal than you have in Haiti. You have more, you have specialists in all. The people who have experiences, people who are the, the ex governor general of Canada were Haitian. And so you have people uh, who works for the revenue system. And so there is a lot of a different kind of assistance. I think that Haitian people expect that the international community help Haiti, but not with military intervention, not with uh, this kind of aid program. I think they can be useful and maybe it's uh, Haiti is a very small country. They can help the Haitian people regain their sovereignty help the Haitian people uh, organize their own political system and in the sense that we can have uh, an election with transparency. And uh, for that reason, what the Haitian diaspora, because there is all these Haitian Americans, Haitian Canadian, Haitian French, what they want that this country can be uh, organized, that's and enter in the world as a normal country. And so it, it will be take years, but I think it's necessary to build institution and to help consolidate this kind of institution in Haiti. You can't want, you, you can't organize election immediately because election, democracy is not about only election. It's about a structural system where people can participate and their voice can be heard. This is really good. I just have one tiny follow-up question on that, Franz, because we've talked about the way that, you know, in the past, after, say, the earthquake and and there were all these different NGOs that came in and there was the Clinton Foundation, but do you envision this kind of help to, you know, recreate essentially a, a civil society or with, with, with organizations coming from within or will you, you know, you, you mentioned before that the diaspora has a lot of help, but how would you see that on the ground is i mean we're talking very concretely okay concretely we have an experience in my uh, we help for example in our center we have a program to very small entrepreneur what i'm saying that's very very small entrepreneur and we have this program through zoom uh, we organize that they can go and understand what is their relation with the tax system what is the, how to organize themselves, how to maintain some kind of uh, accounting books. This for people who are very, 
who don't have a very high education. Eh? It's, it's very small education. But also, Professor Samuel Pierre, and I work with him in this kind, has organized what he called ISTEA, it's a technical institute. He organized a program to teach maths in the countryside, to teach. There is a lot of different programs. And so with the new technology, you don't need to invest a billion of dollars or million of dollars. You know, it's less costly to tell me that I can give a class in Haiti without paying me to go to Haiti and most the money pass to hotel. And th there is another way to help Haitian structure themselves or helping them because they are, they have, there is a lot of experience in Haiti, eh? uh, in the ground. And so you have to help this kind of groups. But I'm saying also that to build institution that you can't give, you know, USAID is more important than the minister, agricultural minister. It's ridiculous. You can lend people money, but uh, you can, for example, microcredit. When USAID put the money, they want you to have this money for six months. What that means that people said, what the hell? You know, the only thing I can do in six months is buying goods and selling goods. Uh, I can't, you know, it's, you need, you need another approach. Uh, not invest in military. Why do not invest, for example, in the constitution of a civil corps to help people deal with catastrophe? Uh, what you can invest in uh, firefighters, invest in the people who work in the hospital. You know, I'm, I'm saying that uh, we have experiences. Paul Farmer who was a teacher at Harvard, has made some experience in terms of hospital uh, in a not in Port-au-Prince, in the countryside. I think there is a lot of other kind of approach, other kind of approach to support uh, people on uh, really people who needs and not uh, to have some kind of NGOs who benefits only the same people. Okay, thank you so much for all of that and ending on that incredibly concrete program for help in the near future. I thank you for all of that. And of course, this means, uh, Franz, that I'm going to follow up and ask you again in the months to come to see how it's going and whether or not, you know, there can be some new kind of structure that will give some hope and, and allow the population to just, you know, try to have some breath of fresh air, you know, after all this chaos and shock, misery and poverty and pandemic and everything else. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Franz Voltaire. Again, I just want to let people know you're an award-winning filmmaker, author, historian, publisher. What's the latest book or project that you're involved in? In, in, in fact, uh, they just sent me the, by my new book will be on uh, A Stranger from Inside. That's mm -hmm. a translation from the French that all my relation with Quebec and Canada and will be released in October 13. That sounds like just about the time that we should talk and then also review what's happened in Haiti. But thanks so much for joining us today, Franz Voltaire. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Susie. Thank you. Thank you.